Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2020. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And Chris. And we're all here, despite pretty much everybody being sick, right? Yeah, a little Tori? Bit. Um, I, I'm doing okay, actually. So okay, you were sick. I was. Um, I, I'm on the up and up now. My dog is sick, though, so... I And I live vicariously through her, so... Guess in that sense, I'm sick. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Other than that, it's cold season. We're all warming up for coronavirus, I guess. Things are passing around. Speak for yourself. I'm developing an immunity. <laughs> that's how it works. I'm pretty sure. Right. <laughs> you you read enough about it and you become immune. No, I slowly expose myself to every disease in existence <laughs> other than coronavirus. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I should have turned that down. All right. <laughs> that doesn't even make like Princess Bride style. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't. I do feel like though, <laughs> through my job as a substitute teacher going to different schools, I do feel like I haven't gotten very sick in a really long time. I get mm. mildly sick. Yeah. Fairly regularly. Actually, and this... that's about it. Last cold that I had that lasted for like two and a half, three weeks, which is probably what you all have now, sorry. Mm. I felt like it was like, it was still mildly sick, but it was the worst sick I've been because it lasted so long. Yeah. That's a pain. Yeah. Mm. I mean, sorry. Well, yeah. Generally speaking, I almost never get sick and almost never for more than a couple of days, but I've had health concerns, so that's yeah. affecting things. I mean, that makes it harder, too. Like, you're, if your body's fighting with something else, it's going to be harder to fight off cold, so... Well, speaking of living with painful infirmities over the course of a long and painful life, mm-hmm. we've got a story today to talk about. Yeah. It, it's called Story. The title is Story. Oh, come on. Doing retro fanfic retrospection isn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche. Well, it's a story called Story, but there's a story behind why it's called Story. The story is they should have chosen a different title. Yeah. Oh, well. End of story. We'll get there. But before we can jump into story, it is a Final Fantasy VIII fanfic, and let's talk a little bit about our background with Final Fantasy VIII. Well, I, I, Chris and I were both just saying it's the first Final Fantasy we played. Yeah, it's the first That's Final Fantasy we owned. So. Yeah, like, we, I don't know, I think we knew about Final Fantasy, and then we finally convinced our folks to buy us a game, and it happened to be Final Fantasy VIII, like... We were kids, and we didn't know which one to start with. Mm-hmm. It looked the coolest. I don't know. And I remember playing all the way through it. I actually think we played some of it together. But to be honest, I haven't had much exposure to it since that age, which is probably maybe 10. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did replay it a little bit since I originally played it. But, man, it's still been definitely over a decade since I played it through to completion. I'm in a similar place. I think I only played it once. I played with my sister back in the day when we had a PlayStation. And it wasn't my first Final Fantasy, though, so I remember the parts that grabbed me better. Like, I thought Balam Garden was awesome, and then once you left mm-hmm. Balam Garden for a long enough time, I lost interest somewhat. <laughs> oh, no. I actually felt the same way, to be honest. But, I mean, you know, you're a kid. It's the things that are, like, visually interesting mm-hmm. a lot of the time that really capture attention. And I vaguely like, relatable, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, I well, like Blomgarten, like being mm-hmm. in school, like Keistus teaching you things. There's a Quistus. I always said Quistus, but apparently that's wrong. Uh, yeah, Is well, it? I always said Quistus too. Is it not wrong? But... Quistus seems correct to me as well, but I don't know. You have an I official f- source? No, I feel like it came up in this podcast at some point it in the did. past, and someone was it like, totally oh, it's totally did. Keistus. That's why I corrected it. Maybe Keistus. it was Rosie who corrected us back in the. Um, oh. But she doesn't show up in Kingdom Hearts, so I don't know why that would have come up. Um, it, it came up. That's all I know. Huh. At well, some point. apropos of nothing, the only um, fanfic of Final Fantasy VIII that I've ever read is Sowing the Seeds, which is a long story mostly about Quistus and also, I guess, Zoo and someone else. I forget the other other seeds' names. Hmm. Um, That's because they're not terribly important. No, they're really not. That was always a thing I had trouble with. Uh, this is a fanfic where the author is trying to take the Final Fantasy VIII world and, you know, expand on it kind of in ways that make sense and that sort of thing. But the Final mm. Fantasy VIII world never really made sense to me. It's no, like, me neither. It's one of those things where, like, you have this entire big mercenary organization that apparently keeps itself busy, but you've got, like, two nations, two and a half nations interested in war at any given time. I, I don't know. It's like, who are they working for? I, I didn't quite get it. It's like, for your, for your initial, for your very initial thing, like, they have a big, you know, they've got a war that you're joining in on, like, for the initial mission, once yes. you graduate. Yeah. But after that, nothing like that happens again very much. I mean, well, like, it's, it's a timber army, I guess, but, like... Yeah, it's mostly Galbadia trying to take over the world at yeah, the I guess. beginning, right? But that the world is... Sounds correct. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah, I, I don't know, maybe that's why it always felt so, like, this, the plot of Final Fantasy VIII feels so much more nebulous to me in my memory than, like, Final Fantasy VII or other I don't games. know if I don't it know. is it's, more nebulous, but it, it feels it, that way. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's definitely its age. I, like, I don't know how the plot will actually fares if I were to replay it and, like, fully analyze it. But definitely, when I played it the first time, I was so young as to not, like, really be in the business of fully analyzing plots Mm -hmm. so so is it fair to say that we're all like maybe a little too distant from it to actually remember the plot very well oh i think that's very fair to say um but it doesn't help that the plot involved a lot of time travel which never makes it easier to remember i mean speak for yourself i love time travel plots (laughs) doesn't make it easier to remember though does it maybe I think we've got enough for this story. Though. I start making flowcharts. Mm. <laughs> All right, make us one right now. Uh, okay, if I actually did remember the plot, that would be a lot easier. Mm. Uh, good point. Well, travel back in time to Compress when you time. did remember the yeah, plot. That sounds correct. Yeah. I'll just use my sorcerer's powers for that. All right, excellent. You better use sorcerer's powers because guardian forces will not help you remember. No. That's a good point. <laughs> they will do the opposite, in fact. Yeah, so I, I feel like I was able to appreciate this fanfic, though. Uh, even with my fuzzy memories of, like, exactly how the plot shook out in Final Fantasy VIII. The characters are... I remember the characters pretty clearly. I mean, they're good Final Fantasy characters in that, like, they've all just got their, like, you know, one-and-a-half-note personalities to hang on, and then character development if they're lucky. Ouch. That is really unfair, I think. Is it? But... I mean, that's a normal Final Fantasy character. Like, you know... You got one and a half personality notes and some character development if you're lucky. If you're not lucky, then you're Irving or whatever. Then, like, you just kind of... I disagree, actually. I think Irving (laughs) does get... Selfie, then. Mm -hmm. 
slightly more true. <laughs> I hate to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> like Final Fantasy Seven, it's like you know, Red. It's like he's got a personality, he's got a persona. He gets yeah. made a bit of character development, but like, it's not like he's a deeply fleshed out character. It's more like, well, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like for the purpose of the game, you know. He leaves a strong impression. You've got the character of Red. He's got, like, a plot role, and, like, he's got a moment or two where he gets to have an emotion, um, like, mean, as part of the plot. I mean, that's somewhat fair in saying that these have, like, large arcing plots as opposed to being very focused on the pasts of the characters yeah, for and how sure. they come mm. up, other than the couple of story arcs where they're really relevant. But, I mean almost every character in the vast majority of Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy games, to be sure, has an arc somewhere. I mean, especially if you look to the later games, like Final Fantasy IX is constantly characters having Oh, well, Final Fantasy IX, that's true. I mean, they did yeah. the thing with all those like cutscenes all the time. It's like, all the characters were doing all kinds of stuff a lot. That it's, was my favorite game at the time. That's that true. I, I never I never finished that one, but I, it. it's just because I got distracted, I think. I just loved it. Like, And I think that's the reason why, it's, is it was so character-focused. Also, it was so unique in how it's in its in its aesthetics, like the character design and the cutscenes were amazing mm-hmm. for the time. Yes. Like they oh, were uh, just mind blowing. Oh man, it has some of the best graphics on the PlayStation One, mm-hmm. just in general. It's crazy how good those graphics are. Like, anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII. I will say that between the the two points that you both made, I agree with both. I think like. In Final Fantasy, there's so many characters that you can only give certain notes to the personalities. But I also agree with Chris in that they go deep into every member of your party in some way, usually. Maybe not every, but like... But no, you're right. That is they standard. Do, like, they do a lot of work. Six is one of my favorites. And like a few characters get a lot to work with. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. but a lot of characters get something. It's like Stragos, you have a... S- you have a side quest. He's got a side quest, which has a little arc. Six and also like, has how many characters again? Oh, oh a bunch. Or mm-hmm. it's like Shadow. Shadow it's a little bit hard. Shadow has a personality yeah. and he has dreams. But like they gave him something, right? Yes. It's yeah. like Gao has a little scene if you go find his biological father that like is kind of like the most he gets in terms of kind of fleshing out his personality or role in the world after his initial like this is who Gao is that kind of thing. And I mean, I, I think that works. It it yeah. works pretty well. I don't remember if Zell had. An arc in eight. An arc. A, a thing. Did he have anything? He had a he background. Does. He it's, has a he has a family. You had to visit his family. Yes. Yeah. Not terribly. A for, for a long ter- for a terribly long time, but yeah, you definitely interact with Zell's family. Mm-hmm. Um, he also has things that he does in the plot that come back to bite him. Mm-hmm. Like he's the one who. Um, when if I'm just trying to remember all of the plot details at this moment in time reveals that Garden is fighting against the Galbadian invasion. Oh. Um, so he, like, he reveals your, the identity of your mercenaries, and mm. that's why they take... Um, the other Garden? The, why, yeah, why they, they launch the missile strike against Trabia Garden. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's, that seems right. Yeah, uh, You wouldn't think it would be hard to figure out where the mercenaries are coming from, but whatever, I mean... <laughs> I guess yeah. before Garden, there's other mercenaries, because yes. you have the Laguna flashbacks. Well, yeah. they, no, they're not mercenaries, they're just no, army. No, they're, they're just army. Soldiers, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, what we're getting at is this story, which is called Story, which is by DK, Donkey Kong, 
<laughs> um, who is a fanfic author. It's just DK. I don't know what it's it stands for. The bunch. Yeah. Yeah. The leader of the pack. You, you know. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm right? sorry. I Am don't I right? know the lyrics yeah. of the DK rap. I really should, though. It's <laughs> I, I don't forms. either, but I'm pretty sure it's leader of the pack. I could mm. be wrong. You know him well? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Back. Mm-hmm. This author. Which rhymes with pack. This You're author correct. was pretty prolific <laughs> in yes. the Harry Potter and a few other things. I know it's a, vag- oh. a vagrant story fanfic. That's interesting. Wow. wow. A couple other yeah. things like Harry I Potter, agree. Vampire Hunter D, but mostly it's Final Fantasy. Tactics, 6, 8, Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, I'm just <laughs> Final looking... Fantasy, Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> They've got 21 stories on fanfiction.net, ranging from the years approximately 2000-ish to 2007 and this one's like 2005 i okay i found this story it was a a recommendation on um the final fantasy 8 fanfic rex page on on that website tv tropes but when i looked into the author i found other recommendations for the author and for this story elsewhere like people remember them someone on the space battles forum commented like yeah i never wrote any final fantasy 8 fanfiction because dk had it like locked down by the way, DK is the leader of the bunch. Okay. It's been confirmed. Yeah. It was so, vitally important. I had to look it up. I apologize <laughs> for my misinformation. You did not know him that well, but now you do. Yes, I do. And I chose this specific story by DK, mostly because it was pretty short. We did some long fanfics the last couple of weeks, Tori. We're going to do long ones again. It didn't feel short, but it was. So you mostly chose this because it was short? Because yeah, and it, well, there were other Final Fantasy VIII stories by DK that people recommended, mm-hmm. right? So Oh, I see. Um, yeah. So I'm going to say, I think this is really well-written. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree. Mean, I meant I chose it over other very well-written, apparently, Final Fantasy VIII fanfics by this author because it was fairly... It was a good length that I wanted to, to run with. Like, for example, you know, the other ones are twice or more as long... Um, uh, let's say, or there's selfie or and squall. I don't. I don't want to deal with that. Whatever. I'm happy with my choice. Story. It's Zell focused. Yeah. And it occurred to me as I was reading this, Chris, that every time we've had you on this podcast, we've been discussing a post series fanfic. Yes. And that's just total coincidence. Mm. I'm not specifically seeking that out, but this is post Final Fantasy VIII, significantly. Mm-hmm. How many yeah. years, like, post-series is this? It's a lot. It doesn't actually mention. I think the most recent date we get in in flashbacks mm-hmm. is that there's stuff that happened 13 years after the game, but this is significantly after that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, mm. Zell's pretty old. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're focusing on Zell, who is old. He's retired in Fisherman's Harbor. Is that the name of the place? Yes. FH Fisherman's Harbor. And the first line of the fanfic is, the old man is full of stories. Which is about that, like, there's this kid named Sherry who basically goes to talk to this old person who hangs out on the wharf who's kind of intimidating mm-hmm. on a dare from her friend. And yeah. this is Zell. And the description of Zell, you're right, I don't think it says how old he is, but... She says he's, like, 90 or 100, but she's, like, 7, so... Right. Well, the description physically is, he seems ancient to her, a decrepit thing of twisted parchment skin and scarecrow bones, a skinny dinosaur setting itself on a rock. His hair is all but gone, only a few wispy white strands like corn silk clinging stubbornly above his small red ears, his bald skull gleaming in the sun. 
An old black tattoo is faded and lost in the wrinkles of his face. And it goes on a little bit like that. Um, and it's pretty neat the way the story's set up. She goes and talks to him on a dare, and she asks him something like, what happened to your arm? Because he's missing one. He's got one arm. Yeah. And instead of answering, he tells her a fairy tale, basically, instead of answering that question. About the the story of the Balam fish. Yeah. The Balam fish. I always said Balam. Balam? Oh, okay. We light up on our pronunciation. Final fancy names, you know? Like, who knows? Yes. I'm not even sure how to pronounce Zell. Yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) (laughs) That also sounds right. Anyway, that leads into the pattern of this fanfic, which is alternating um, as these two, Zell and Sherry, get closer. She asks him questions, which he doesn't answer, and he tells her fairy tales or that kind of thing instead. But then you see inside his mind about the stories he's not telling her, the answers he's not giving her, which are all flashbacks to his rather extended past. Yeah, and that's part of the structure is it'll repeat what he does not tell her is mm. and then go into a reflection, which I like a lot of structure. Yeah, it's a it's a neat motif. Mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd say... It's a leap motif. No, wait. <laughs> this is not a piece of music. No. Leap <laughs> motif is... Never mind. <laughs> yeah, that's a musical it's, term, right? Yes, yeah, it is. It's a literary term, but also it's not. I mean, so I, I was just making a pun that didn't. Moving on. And so I guess, should we kind of sketch out Zell's life as this fanfic describes it? I kind of can't remember the order in which you find things out necessarily. Because um, you don't necessarily find out the order. But for one thing, mm-hmm. he's the only one of the Final Fantasy protagonists left alive. And you kind of find out bit by bit what happened to other people. Oh, Him except and Renoa. Renoa. You're right, Renoa. Who is gone from the extended world in hiding at yeah. this point. And I guess we'll get into that more later. But you find out fairly soon that, like, Selfie and Irving died in just some, like, mission gone badly. That's also how uh, Zell lost his arm. And you, like, you get the details of that mission. He was with Zoo. Is that how you say their name? X U. That sounds. That sounds right. No, that would be X U. Could be That would be X I U. Zoo. Anyway, yeah, he and Zoo going like defending against aggression from not Galbadia, but what was their 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 Dalit? Dalit. Yeah, I think it's Dalit. Right. It's like once the Galbadian Empire collapsed a bit, Dalit went on an expansion kick, and like you know they were kind of trying to defend some some ice nomads against them because they dredged up enough money to hire a few seeds and like some things went wrong and you know she died and Zell's arm was lost and all that kind of thing there's a lot of tragedy going on especially since he continued working for seed and the thing about seed has been some mercenary organization I mean yeah 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 we were talking about the Final Fantasy 8 plot before we you know started recording and the gardens are set up to produce some badass fighter people who can fight a sorceress because they know that needs to happen because of time shenanigans. Yes. But they're also... I feel like this fanfic is very very astute in like recognizing that once that's set up, it's got momentum. Like, Oh, yes. It's going to keep going. It's, I, I really like how they did this because by the end of the story, we get the impression that the current form of the gardens mm-hmm. is very much sinister. Sort of, yeah, this overarching entity, which is 
stealing children and turning them <laughs> into its own private army. Yeah, they've yeah. instituted a draft. It's not clear whether it's a draft just for Fisherman's Harbor to like, pr- but but that would kind of make sense because Fisherman's Harbor is supposed to be a pacifist, like neutral town, right? Yes. And so it might just be that like the garden was at some point came around and was like, look, yeah, we'll protect your neutrality, but we need we need gardeners seeds. I mean, <laughs> gardeners. So we're mm. gonna have a draft going on. And that's one of the things lurking in the background of this character, Myra, because she's, like, she and her friend... Not, not Myra. Myra's not the name. Myra's the friend's name. Yes. Sherry, Sherry and Myra. They're coming up on the age where, like, they're, they're coming up on the age where they might be drafted, which, you know, is, like, eight. Uh, it's worse than that. <laughs> Seven? What was it? Six. Oh, God. They're six. If you go by Final Fantasy VIII... Apparently, seeds can be recruited. Seed cadets can be recruited as early as five. Now, yeah. as the father of a five-year-old, yeah, this is horrifying. I mean, it's horrifying, but it's also like very real. Like it, it feels right in a horrible, sinister it way. Feels very um, Ender's Game, honestly. Yeah. Um, especially, be- but like it kind of in a really re- weirdly yeah. reversed way and because there's an implication in this that it's more about them failing certain tests that gets them recruited than no, I know. passing them. That is not how I read that. It's really? a number, right? Oh, okay. Right. Is that well, low on whatever test they were taking was good, and if you were uh, too low on the test, then see, you were that's because Sherry phrases it as, yeah, scoring low on the test and having to go, which is right. obviously an I mean, awful thing. More like so she a sees placement a test, right? right? Like you're the first in the country, mm-hmm. as opposed yeah, to yeah. like your rank. Yes. I mean, yeah. that's what I was would have assumed, too, but I, I like how the story does it in that, like, you know, she's like, well, I scored low on my test, and now I have to go to Sky Jail. Well, in terms of what what Garden has become, which is, you know, a, a military force very active and recruiting and, you know, drafting, at least at Fisherman's Harbor, at the very least, and, you know, powerful... Um, it's not spelled out, which I like, but one of the things is that Squall was in charge of Garden after Sid. Yes. But and then, that's made very apparent in the plot of Final Fantasy VIII, sure. that he was sort of acting as commander and as sort of Sid's successor. Mm-hmm. But then he dies in the background of this fanfic. He dies abruptly at, like, age 30 or something. He has yes. a stroke or something, right? Yes, that is specifically at age 30 having a stroke. <laughs> yeah, that was nuts to me in this story because there was this weird part where it implied like well it's also musing it's like maybe it was just bad luck or uh, maybe it's like something to do with guardian forces and i like the comment he was like squall junctioned eden yes and he was like and eden was like so well, i forget the words he uses like big and scary like yeah such uh, a force like who knows what that did to him the explanation the specific phrasing is wonderful which mm-hmm. is a frequent comment I'm going to have about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here we are. Um, it seemed a particularly cruel joke. The world's most lethal swordsman slain by paperwork. The line of Balaam dying silently in his sleep. From stress or some genetic quirk or the GFs, Squall, after all, had junctioned Eden. And she was so big and so nasty that even the thought of letting her touch his mind sent a shiver up Zell's spine that had nothing to do with the cold. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> and this so, whole story is written incredibly. It's written very well. And I also like the world building in that, in things like that, where you can kind of guess that 
after Squall died abruptly and it passed into who knows whose hands. Like, that and particularly shady. I mean, in dying at 30, it's implied that he didn't really have time to choose his own no, successor. definitely not. So mm-hmm. that certainly explains why this organization went downhill after that. But it doesn't spell that out. Right, like, and... And that's another thing that's really nice about this fan, fan fiction. It's very frequently about what's not said. Yeah. <laughs> There's things like that. It, it, oh, this fan yeah. doesn't need to tell you, but it all fits together. Yeah. Um, what else from Zell's memories while we're on kind of the Zell background stuff? I mean, that's a well, lot of the fanfic. That's most of, yeah. That's most of the fanfic. Um, I guess, yeah, other people dying, <laughs> Squall dying. I'm not sure we find out how Quistus dies. Equistus doesn't even get a mention. No, it's, it's a little strange. presumed that she's dead because Zell does mention at some point that basically all of his friends are dead. I mean... Equistus is one of them, we, we think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we can assume that. More or less. I mean, but he's also quite old, so it, she might not have died young and could still be dead, you know, at this Fair. point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've got to say, one of the things, while we're talking about Zell's memories, that I like is... Actually, on that note... Yes. Um... I think he does mention that almost all of his friends are dead when uh, when Squall dies in the flashback mm-hmm. and as part of the flashback. Mm-hmm. So that would imply that she had died sometime in the 13 years before that flashback happens, or, mm-hmm. you know, between the plot of Final Fantasy VIII and that flashback happening. Uh, although, who knows? Sorry, go on. What I was going to say is... Um, in Final Fantasy VIII, you find out there's that revelation dropped that, like, oh, Guardian Forces mess with your memory. And it's, like, not really addressed after that. And, I, I mean, it's there to explain why they don't remember being childhood friends in the, in the orphanage, right? That's kind I mean, of its, it's plot point. Also there yes. to make Guardian Forces seem as scary as they're supposed to seem. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but they never really bring it up again. Fair. But this fanfic certainly brings it up again, like you would. And I really like the discussion of guardian forces and memory in the context of an old man's memories. Because, mm-hmm. you know, your memory's already so spotty as you get older. Like, you lose well, all, so much specifics from a lot of yeah, your past. Yeah, and he that says I, that. He, he says, he I don't know which is which. The GF Yeah, and so I feel like that makes it especially bittersweet, where it's like, um, you know, memories are so important to one's identity at this age that he's at right now anyway, that, like, kind of not knowing how much you might have given up in the course of using guardian forces is like i feel like it 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 is resonant here's the the part where it talks about it um with oh this is when he starts telling her things about his actual life no no he's still not doing that within a month he knows he loves her that being sherry and because he loves her he tells her the stories even though it hurts Reaching into his mind for them is like stirring up a murky lake bed. All too often, things best left forgotten rise to the surface amid the silt of his memory, and these are the things he does not tell. The stories behind the stories, the ones that cut too close and too deep, because they are the ones that have shaped him. Still, he is lucky to have the pain. Some of the Esther scientists said that the Guardian forces would render the saviors of the world utterly braindead within twenty years, but they were wrong. Not entirely. His memories of his childhood and his training are all but gone, a tapestry with so many holes punched in it that its patterns can no longer be seen. The last sorceress war itself is more like a wet, like wet paint sliding across a canvas, once brightly colored events blurring together into one dull black lump that is little more than emotion and sensation. He can no longer remember just when he borrowed Squall's ring, or if he was at the missile base, or the instrument he played during the Garden Festival. 
The battle with Ultimessia is missing in its entirety, as if excised, excised from his head with a scalpel. Um, and I, that's also really clever in a gameplay perspective, because some, of the, that, some yeah. of the things he mentions not <laughs> yes. remembering are things that he may or may not have been at. Yes. Yeah, or, because you split your party to go to the missile base, right? Totally. Or, or you example. get to choose who's like what instruments are being played or something yeah. at the yeah. at the garden festival. So that, that's also very very clever. Well, and it also just calls back moments of the game, which this fanfic does. I feel like this is like a true like. There's so much art in this because it calls back moments of the game so specifically, and yet weaves everything together in this kind of like. I don't know, this kind of, like, end-of-life uh, well, narrative for him that yeah. is very, like, deep and emotional that doesn't, you know, fully feel like... It doesn't feel like playing a Final Fantasy game, like, for instance, our Final Fantasy VII fic does. Not at all. Mm-hmm. But it definitely feels like a retrospective of the game from an old man's perspective. And all of it's just so rooted in Zell's perspective or Sherry's perspective. In fact, all of it's either Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. Zell's perspective or Sherry's perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And that bleeds through into the narrative and the way that it's presented very frequently. Yeah. And it's neat having that limited viewpoint sometimes. Like, with the whole Renoa thing. Um, Mm -hmm. There's this important scene, or, you know, memory, like flashback scene... From when Zell was like 45, he was, he was not yet 45, so he's like 44, whatever. Yeah. And Renoa shows up who he hasn't seen since Squall's funeral, where yeah. she just took off. And so it's it's been like 13, 14 years or something, I forget. Actually, the only scene that I like, I don't know, I found to be difficult, you know? Mm-hmm. Like well, it, very, I mean, they're all difficult to right. read because they're all very emotional, but this was the only one where I was like, whoa. <laughs> What I like is the world building from this scene, mm-hmm. where she shows up and she says, you know, after like some awkward, you know, small talk or whatever, she says she came to say goodbye. And he's like, goodbye? They'll be after me soon, Renoa said. She looked away for a moment, gazing out the narrow little window where the sun slanted across the cobblestone streets. I won't be able to see you anymore. They may have followed me already. And it goes on, she's talking about how like, some she knows people have been paying attention to her, uh, like they presumably may be the garden, but it's not completely clear. It's by actually the... mentioned that oh, it is the garden. Oh, it is the garden. Yeah. Yes. I, by um, the way, this... Sent... Oh, garden. Oh, sorry. No, that is garden. She says, I can tell they're watching me, waiting to see if I'll do something. But you won't, Sel pointed out. They should know you're no threat. You haven't done anything wrong. But I might. Renoa's hands fidgeted nervously in her lap. A shiver ran through her. He saw goosebumps trailing up her pale arms to her bare shoulders. That's all they care about. They're getting stronger every year, and they want to be sure. And I might. And that repeat of, yeah. and I might, I feel like, oh, it's so good. Because yes. she, she doesn't... Yeah. That, that line implies that it's not just that, like, that she's emphasizing that Garden can't be sure. She's also mm-hmm. saying, like, I'm. she probably hates and fears Garden or something. You know, she, mm-hmm. she could move against Garden. She might have considered it, you know? Like, just from that yes. second repetition. Yes, because the first one, there's sort of an implication that it's Garden's perspective, and then, you right. know. Mm-hmm. And the second one's her perspective, and so right. cool. Yes. And what I wanted to mention is, like, this is the story he does not tell Sherry in reaction to finding out that Sherry is being called to go to Balaam Garden. So, oh, spoiler-tory. What? Yeah, her draft number comes up. We hadn't actually mentioned that. We did mention that. We mentioned no, that the fear was a thing. We, we didn't mention it, but we're jumping all over the we're place. We're jumping all over the place. Fan fiction. But, but, I mean, it's hard to do this fan fiction 
in yeah. chronological order, I feel like. We did That's not how that it settled down in my mind. She talked about her test being low, and therefore she was okay, called. Okay, that's true. We totally did. Yeah, but she's, anyway. She's called up to go to garden. Point being is that, yeah, we're jumping. I wasn't sure where we were going because <laughs> we're jumping all around. Sorry. But I, I appreciate <laughs> that it's the story of Renoa that is told when this kind of tragedy happens. So, I mean, we could go and talk about... Um, Sherry's number being called because I feel like that's the turning point of the fan mm, fiction yeah, or we could also jump around and talk about some of their stories whatever y'all want to do um well let's finish up with Renoa if there's anything we want to say mm-hmm. about that scene I mean there's a lot there's a lot going on in that scene, scene. yeah yes. so yeah that's the story I, but I feel like it's very significant that that's the story he tells in reaction to that because this is him being 45 and Renoa is not aged from being 17 you know, 17 and it's the the scene that made me the most uncomfortable because, you know, there is a lot going on with him. She comes to him and acts like nothing's happened for all these years, but also, like you said, Abato, there's so much going on in her mm-hmm. life. And instead of him, like, being like, dude, how can I help you? There's a lot more, like, I don't know, it almost feels like... Uh, like, she won't let him in a little bit. But then they both kind of succumb to a mutual, uh, I won't say attraction. No, it's more like need for need physical for reassurance. Physical or intimacy, because yeah. they're both in very stressful points in their life. But Well, they've also had both had loves die on them. Right. Yeah, we haven't talked about that yet for Zell. Um, we'll come back to that. We will, yeah. And, and something that happens for Zell is he continues to... They, you know, they start to make out a little. He he keeps glimpsing himself in a reflection, and seeing himself as an older man than than she is. Even though they're the same age, it affects him. You know, he's like he looks like her father. You mm-hmm. know, and it, it really affects him, and he feels bad about himself. And I actually feel really bad for him that he seems to reflect on his appearance and feel so bad about himself for being older. Yeah. and uh, Especially because they actually are the same age. Yeah, he acknowledges it, you know. Yeah. Maybe at one or two places, it's like, oh, this, you know, he, he sees bad. like the 45-year-old, yeah. you know, person in Renoa. It's just that she's got this body that mm-hmm. does not match her life. He sees it in well, her eyes. Also, I mean, and the sort of is where you get a lot of perspective on on how Zell feels about himself. Like, it's very clear that he's been sitting in Fisherman's Horizon, Horizon not doing much mm-hmm. since he lost his arm. Uh, right. Well, he lived in Ballantown for a little bit, it's mentioned, and he did some odd jobs, but he still hasn't been doing much since he lost his arm. And there is an argument to be made that part of why that's the case is because of how he thinks about himself. The stories that he's told himself about that he is useless, that he's not able to do anything anymore, and that makes it okay for him to have stopped trying to do anything with his life. Yeah, and that's another thing that's understated, but I think you're right on. And, you know, he's... He's a child soldier, right? He's a warrior. He's, like, somebody who... to whom, like, this kind of physical... Um, prowess was kind of like a big deal. Well, yeah, and he's just, like not just a soldier, but his weapon was his fists. His hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this this is kind of a story of a sadness and defeat in a lot of ways. He reflects a lot on the you know the woman he loved who he lost, and immediately after a reflection on that, like a reflection within a reflection, I guess is what this scene is because during his 
you know, time with Renoa, he also goes back in time again to when he was younger. But there's a really interesting passage, which is, it, it starts with this reflection of him thinking about his lost love. And then it goes to, and he saw himself through the window again, an old man groping a girl who looked young enough to be his daughter, and it all felt suddenly wrong, obscene. Beyond that, the tickling sense of betrayal, the insistent voice that insisted that she was squalls, that he was in love with someone else, as if their illusory return to their old selves had brought those old ties along for their ride. So there's so much in that paragraph, Mm -hmm. right? And then he tells her he can't. And then he goes on to say he knows how it would be. They would sleep together and both of them would think of someone else in the dark, clinging to each other, not out of desire, but desperation. So it's like... It's rough. I mean, it's such a real feeling. And and I feel like I do actually understand this feeling. But it's so many emotions described so complexly. Like we were talking about his thing with his age. He feels that when he's like, I look like her father. And he reflects on, you know, things that have lost, things that are wasted. But then he immediately turns to, oh, but I don't really love her. or And she belongs to someone else. It's so much complexity in one simple paragraph. Like It's I a scene know. where you come out wow. of it wondering, well, like... He's, yeah, he's searching for any excuse in his mind to avoid this in some ways. Like, mm-hmm. that seems clear, regardless of whether some of these um, things that he's thinking are accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, and and when he kind of like turns her down there, it gets super awkward in a, in a yeah. way that is explained very well. And yes. she just sort of leaves, and he's like, uh, see you later, like automatically. And she's like, you won't. Both because that was kind of their chance at reconnection, it seemed like, and because mm-hmm. she's withdrawing from the world in some way that you never find out because all you have is Zell's perspective. Right. Even like, better, we get, no, she said you won't, and then the two-word paragraph, he didn't. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the writing's so good. The writing of this is incredible. And I just, like, I had to call attention to that part because I feel so much empathy and familiarity with his perspective, even though I've never been in that position. Yes. Um, and it's a short paragraph, but it, it it's easy to reconcile, like, the feelings of... In terms of Zell's background, we also get a love story in snatches and not even complete. And you don't, and some of it is still kind of between the lines. Mm-hmm. You get you get how they met. Like he he falls in love with another seed cadet uh, who I guess is just like a little bit younger than him or something. Yes. Um, named Penelope. You get you get some little scenes of her. You get a little bit of her personality, but um, seems more. What was it? She's like more more bookish than he was, but. They, they seem mm-hmm. to be very playful together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they end up at, I guess, towards the end of their relationship, she's insisting on taking the seed exam, and he's kind of insisting, like, no, don't. And it, it doesn't explain why he was so insistent, which is great, because you can you can come up with many reasons why he would not want someone to take the seed exam, right? Yes. <laughs> and it might just be because he foresaw what actually happens in the seed exam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's presumed. We get snippets and descriptions later on, not even in that scene, that she died taking it. Mm-hmm. It's I didn't I wasn't completely clear on that whether it was then or shortly after, um, but no, the evening after Penelope's seat exam. No, it must have been the seat exam. You're right, and you know we're talking about the seat exam where like for your final test, go into a war zone and 
you know, kill soldiers. Accomplish a mission. Right, accomplish a mission. (laughs) That seat exam. It's not even the, like, supervised going to the fire canyon or whatever with a elemental... Uh, elementally advantageous GF junctions to you, right? Yes. Hmm. Not technically the exam. Um, yeah, just something that Squall was procrastinating about. <laughs> you know, the prerequisites that you needed to take care of and you had weeks to do before mm-hmm. the exam happened. <laughs> <laughs> and even better, got into an unsupervised duel on the day of your final exam. Squall, <laughs> not the most responsible seed cadet, I'm realizing. I no, really. <laughs> no. And I mean, I guess it makes sense how frustrated Quistus is with him at that point as yeah, his teacher. totally. I never quite appreciated just, like, how how much he was not taking this seriously mm. until we're and talking about it now. there are reasons for that. Like, it fits with Squall's character. <laughs> but, yeah, it was uh, certainly some lapse judgment at that point. Yeah, I guess I always kind of thought of him as, like, really reserved because his dialogue's really reserved. But honestly, his actions are just, like, kind of out of control a little bit in that sense. I mean, he's generally pretty good at following orders and doing what needs to be done. Certainly more so than a lot of other characters like Cypher. Totally. That's what I always thought of Squall as, like, kind of just, like, reserved, like, good soldier. But it's, like, really, yeah, all that stuff that happened is, like, meh. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. He... Squall is a very interesting character. We can get into that if you want, but it's not exactly relevant. No, it's actually... It's not. It's not very, because Squall only really comes up in the sense of... Uh, His absence. Yeah. yeah yes. Pretty much. That's really it. Yeah. There's a scene around his funeral, um, but actually, how much emotion that comes out of this fanfic, um, especially from Zell, you know, around Renoa and around his lost love Penelope, it actually feels like the scene devoted to the loss of Squall was relatively short, and I was. But it's like, still like I mean, very it emotionally is. relevant, and Squall actually gets mentioned a couple of other times in in passing which not a lot of the other final fantasy 8 characters the weirdest part to me is that the i feel like one of the times he was mentioned was when we were just talking about how he felt like he was betraying squall to be with renoa and i felt like that actually spoke volumes that you know like that was one piece of the reason he wouldn't be with like maybe the biggest piece he's saying oh you know i can't love her it's only desperate I'd be betraying Squall. Well, also um, and Penny, his his old and love. Penelope, yeah. But those were the kind of like the biggest pieces of of that equation, and yet it took so like there wasn't a lot of time paid to that. So it was kind of hard to parse exactly what Squall meant to him in this, except that he meant a lot. I think it, there was a lot more focus on Renoa and Penelope mm-hmm. and Sherry, the young girl. So let's see. There's a couple other things I want to touch on in terms of of. Zell's life. It's worth mentioning that the the Final Fantasy eight characters, main characters, were celebrities after the events of the game. Right. But he's allowed himself to totally fall out of the public eye, and like no one recognizes him anymore. And they yes. have a, they have a scene where he's going to like watch the old Balam Garden get sunk because it's kind of broken down, and they're like raising a new Balam Garden. That's actually the scene right before he talks to Renoa. It's in the same flashback. Oh, it's in the same where flashback. That's right. Renoa and Renoa is being chased by the garden. So we get this very uh, th- like it reinforces the idea that Garden has changed. They are sinking mm-hmm. the place that they used to live, and and now they are developing a new base that will soon come online. And you get this 
this very sinister sense. You haven't been picking up on the idea that more and more military actions of more and more dubiety are happening, certainly at this point. Well, and but there's also like this such a great, you know, true to memory kind of scene when he's seeing the old garden being sunk. And, you know, it's a big, like, uh, it's a big deal where, like, says the paper's been talking yeah. about it for weeks and stuff. And he's like, I haven't been in that garden for, like, so many years. But all he can picture is the garden exactly as he knew it back yes. when he was, like, a student or, you know, a, a seed there. And so he's imagining as it sinks beneath the water, all the water rushing through the areas just as he knew them. That like, his, was... his own, you know, dorm yeah. and, like, the thing, the Dr. Katawaki's, you know... Medical room set up the way Dr. Katawaki had it set up, and all that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, that's totally true. Of course, that's like what you would think of, even if you know intellectually, none of it probably looks like that anymore. That was, that part was one of two moments that stood out to me the most. The description of how he visualized the water flooding the areas he knew, mm-hmm. and the part where he talks about how Sherry runs towards and away from him with a machine gun footsteps um, when she first tells him that she has to go. Mm-hmm. Those were the two scenes that stood out the most. But the, the way that they describe his imagining of it is truly, to me, incredible. Before we go back to the kind of frame story with old Zell and this child Sherry and the sto- those, you know, all that stuff... Uh, let's go back to the other stories that Zell is telling, yeah. rather than just thinking, because we haven't really mentioned them yet. The things that he's telling her are mostly fairy tales, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Mythology, to some extent. Fairy tales or mythology, yeah. yeah. It's kind of his own version. Like we mentioned, he starts with the, the Balam, ba- Balam fish. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Which the author notes at the end is uh, very gingerbread man. It's very mm-hmm. It's kind of a gingerbread man variation. But most of the other ones are, it's interesting, they're like bits of fairy tale type tropes sometimes, but, you know, kind of new and remixed. And some of them are concerned with Hein, who I had totally forgotten about. I did not remember in the slightest there being a figure called Hein in Final Fantasy VIII, but there is. Yeah, I think it's mentioned a couple of times. Great God fought against humanity gave up half of himself Mm -hmm. uh, but the half with no power supposedly gave the half with power to the sorceress it's all very background stuff it's mentioned very briefly a couple of times yeah apparently twice well apparently you hear that story two times and like there's some variation between the two one is very close to the beginning of the game like you can hear it in Fisherman's Horizon I think Mm -hmm. but yeah there's one much later that's I think more complete again long time since I played this game but that's cool and I I feel like in the stories that Zell tells, one of them is coming out of that war against Hind that is told in Final Fantasy VIII twice, and like that's you know a key part of mythology. And another one uses Hein as a mythological figure in a different context, and I thought it was really neat. Yes. That yeah. like kind of expanding on this very significant figure, like the only significant figure in Final Fantasy VIII religion or mythology, right? Because there's nothing else going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in the meantime, there's a frame narrative that just talks about the passing of time like how snow starts to come when yeah. sherry comes and it i feel like that makes the story feel like it takes a longer time than it actually does is every time she comes it's a different season or a different weather mm-hmm. on the note of mythology and final fantasy it, it is 
implied to some extent that that's sort of what guardian guardian forces are like sort of mythological figures and creatures like a griever is mentioned as being a mythological creature which is why what's a griever it's the symbol that squall carries around the symbol the ring has it on a ring and yeah. the, on his pendant and oh, it's okay. on the gun blades on the side i of don't his remember gun this <laughs> that's a guardian force uh yeah it ends up being if i okay. recall correctly i know i, I believe you I, I don't remember these things but yeah uh no i mean that makes sense it it still doesn't really explain what the deal is really with guardian forces but no. yeah it makes sense it seems like they are like acknowledged entities that you would imagine them telling stories about or something so much of uh, what guardian forces are is just not very well mentioned it's like everybody goes and beats up ifrit and gets a copy of ifrit i guess that's just like a thing that everybody does i'm sure We've got a whole bunch of Shivas, like, take one out of the drawer. <laughs> Everybody gets a Shiva? I don't know. Yeah, well, this story doesn't focus too heavily on, on any of that technicality. No. It's just like, let's let's talk about, you know, th- this world in a very abstract way, which I actually appreciate because, you know, as I mentioned, my memories of Final Fantasy VIII are kind of abstract anyway, but this made it made sense in a certain way. I don't know about abstract. I feel like it, it makes the Final Fantasy VIII world seem more real than it did mm-hmm. in my memories before. I actually but, feel the same way, yeah. But if only because the the narratives are more mythology and then also the flashbacks to very like specific, specific personal things, yeah. events. Yeah, and just like in that Xena fanfic we read recently, The Dragon's Child, I thought the fairy tales were all very satisfying, like or oh, mythology. Yeah. Like they're pretty well done, they feel right. There's also an interesting structure where the first fairy tale is longer than the second, and the third, and the fourth. Like they eventually kind oh, of right? become summaries hmm. um, until the turning point where Sherry is called away. Yeah, the right before um, there's one where he talks about when he talks about Squall's funeral. He actually gets really specific. I mean, he doesn't tell her about that. That's his reflection. But then after that, because it says you know he doesn't tell her this, he is a long summary of his memory, and then he says. He tells Sherry of the Great Salt Lake and thinks of old scars of sorrows smoothed over and buried by time, but still full of bitter poison. And that's all it says about what he tells Sherry at that point. Uh, I mean, isn't that... They mentioned the actual tale a little bit earlier. Yeah, oh, that's maybe. The, oh. That's uh, the tale about Hein, the, the oh, long I, one about oh, humans okay. fighting Hein. I misinterpreted that then. I thought that was actually... Oh, I see. Yes, now I see that. Mm-hmm. So I guess the structure actually shifts a little bit at that point. Yeah. But that's right before... I guess I'm a little fixated because the turning point when she comes running up to him, this it sticks in my mind so hard. But... Well, let's get to that turning point because up until, until then, the progression has just been that like she keeps coming back to him for stories and they grow closer. And it's all very understated in a good way. Like you, you don't need a whole lot of words devoted to that to get the idea. Oh yeah, there's a wonderful paragraph which I think you Mm. mentioned a little bit earlier is that, you know, it starts out with like by the end of a month he knew he loved her. Mm -hmm. Which is a wonderful sentence. Yeah, and that's, you know, not very far into the story, especially considering how short the story is. And yet it feels like a long time. And so this turning point is she basically comes running to him very upset to tell him that she's going to have to go away and will not hear any more stories. Can I read it? Can I please? Just, like, maybe not the whole thing, but 
One day she comes to him and everything is different. He is used to the sound of her approach, the reverse of that rapid machine gun pattering she made running away from him the first day. But today is different. Today her steps are slow and uncertain, brief sounds in the dark, and the dock does not bounce excitedly, but tremble. Don't turn around, something in his mind warns him, desperately, and he realizes he is afraid. If you turn around, you'll ruin it all. But the sound of her rapid breathing and her fidgeting cuts him to the bone. She's upset, and he loves her, and the thought of her in pain is too much to bear. Um, He can't tear her away from her parents or stop the children that torment her at school or help her with her homework, but he can listen. He can tell her a story that takes it all away. He can take her hurt into himself as he has so many times before. He turns around. Mm-hmm. And then one more part, because this is great. She wears a pair of neat black shoes that have seen the sun for the first time today. Black woolen socks swallow her legs to the knee. <laughs> Love that part, where they meet the hem of her dusky blue skirt. Above that, a long yellow sleeve, buttoned-up blouse, a burst of yellow. No, something is mine with her softly. Oh no, for God's sake, she's only six years old. Hi, Sherry says. She does not look at him. And then it, it keeps going. Oh, there's so many good bits here. It's just she says, good, right? It's all so good. She says she has to go away, right? Yeah. Away, he asks, as if he were a child himself. But he knows what away means. Away means a magical school in the sky where she will learn to read and write and tame monsters that will eat her piece by piece. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. This is the part that just struck me, you know, that one. So intense. And I mean, it goes on from there. There's a lot. She she starts out, like, clearly wanting to talk to him, like, you know, maturely, right? She's got that kind of urge, but she breaks down crying. And this is also where they tell each other they love each other. Just the the juxtaposition of the swallowing her socks are doing... Like, that stood out for me, how her, her stockings were swallowing her legs. And then immediately after, he's talking about how the monsters will take her apart piece by piece. It's... <sighs> it's yeah. too good. Yes. And I love that in this whole exchange... Um, Zell asks something in a childlike manner, and mm-hmm. Cherry is pretending to be more adult. Mm-hmm. Is or talking, trying to be, or yeah. Is, yeah. Is repeating words that adults have told her right. in an attempt to mimic them, mimic their opinions or ideas of the world. There's been a really strong buildup with him kind of being um, like a, an elder figure of support, but also having a secret pain. And this is kind of where it all changes, and he breaks down. Yeah, and she asks him to tell her a story. And this is where he has the Renoa flashback, and that's compared to Renoa's asking for something that he could not give. And he doesn't have it in him right now to tell a story either. Mm-hmm. And after the whole Renoa flashback, there's also, there's so much that's like really cutting to the heart here. It cuts back to kind of Sherry's perspective, and she, you know, she feels like he's fallen silent, and she knows that like, in the past, she's never asked him to tell a story. She's asked him another question. He's told her a story instead. And she's like, oh, by asking asking, by asking by him to actually just tell me a story, I've ruined it. Yes. She also thinks that she doesn't want to know his name because if she knows his name, he becomes a be less a, magical figure. Right. He becomes a less Instead of, of like a story storytelling figure. Man. But this whole time we've been hearing all of the tragedy that's happened to him and even at this point the mistakes he's made, you know, um, the way he felt around Renoa and his guilt and his shame. And I just love that we get that contrast mm-hmm. of him being such a real person and her seeing him as magical and how they both make sense in the narrative. But so then it's all reversed in extremely elegant storytelling ways, right? 
because when she finally asks him to tell her a story, he a- he offers personal information instead, which he's never given before. He says, mm-hmm, do you still yes. want to know my name? And, oh, yeah, because and her early expect- on, right. she asked him about his arm, and he did not tell her that story. That's been the pattern every yes. time. The whole pattern. He right. told her right. about but, the Balam fish Yeah, instead. and then at first she was disappointed by that, but then she got used to it, and now And then it's the reverse unexpected. of what you were saying too, Chris, uh, where, like, she's... She's afraid that by learning that he, his name, he'll be like less magical and mysterious. But instead, he's like a super cool, famous, like awesome person who she's been hearing the name of since she was young. Yeah. And he becomes more magical when she finds out he's the Zell. I mean, you know, just just Zell. He's, uh... he, goes, he goes by Zell. <laughs> you sure? Going by the Zell. <laughs> I mean, that sounds a little bit in character for seventeen-year-old Zell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is he when the? plot starts whatever age he is when the plot starts <laughs> very young and it's all very uh elegant because you know they part he can't do anything to save her from garden and like she can't do anything either but they promise not to forget each other and with you know memory being a big theme of the story and final fantasy 8 in general yeah. like it's a very it's it's more thematic than just being kind of a normal cliche right Yes, yeah. and it's also very well expressed, as with many things in this fanfiction. Um, question: What happened to Penelope? It sounds like she probably died in her seed exam, but it's I not see. told that, to you in that um, way. So you get what? that line that the um, night after, after her seed exam, yeah, was one of the worst nights of his life. You also get. I see. A very you get telling line. What was left of Penelope's ashen face? Yes. that's what I was focusing on when I asked that question. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if she died of a disease or a no. She died. She definitely died in her exam, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of drama here. I mean, this is the the paragraph I'm I'm drawing from here is when he thinks of everyone who's died, and it's really real squall slumping over his desk Renoa somewhere gone transformed from a person to a monster by nothing more than the passage of time graves and frozen earth piled high with the dead what was left of Penelope's ashen face and you get like that's that real death like Mm -hmm. that's that real death you don't know unless you've seen the real death so I don't know how the author got that but it's very affecting Mm mm-hmm and there's so many passages here we could read from the ending in particular. There's some really great wordage and imagery. One of one of the things is the... It, it flat out ends up telling you the theme of the story. But, like, mm-hmm. she's going into... See, it doesn't know what's going to happen. But she's going to have her own stories to tell him the next time that they meet. And he has something to live for, basically. Because now he's going to wait for her to return. Before, he was just kind of waiting for death. But now he has, like, someone who he loves in his life, who, like, even if he can't do anything for her, it's, like, something that he can live towards. And all of his personal reflections have Mm -hmm. been just the things that he's lost, you know? It's been a lot of loss. Like, even when he reflects on the great things that happened with Penelope, it's about, in the end, how he lost her. Then it's about Renoa and how, like, they met up again and that wasn't good and... And the tragedy of how Squall died and the whole funeral, it's all been a lot of tragedy that he doesn't tell and replaces with a fiction. 
And now... And the lesson as described here is that, uh, in Zell's mind, is there are many stories in the world, but the most important ones are those you choose to make yourself. And he said, it says that's the lesson he taught her, but I feel like mm. it's just as much something he's yeah. learning from having these talks he, with her, right? Yes, because he mentions that that is the story behind the stories, which mm-hmm. is a phrase which was previously used to, to, to describe all of the things that he wasn't talking about. Oh, we got some good close reading going on here. Behind the stories. Yeah. Well, he also <laughs> says very specifically, he will not forget, not if he lives to be 100, and he will if he has to. He will sit on this dock every damn day he has left and wait for her. That is his choice. She will not forget. She will come back to him if she can. And it's she like, will be changed, shaped yeah. by the world, just as he has been. But she will come back. That is her choice. Yeah, and, and those parallel stories. It's like this interconnected narrative, and also this like whole thing with how much he's forgotten. Mm-hmm. It's like he will not forget. Like he's definitely taking agency in this passage. Yeah, agency is a good word. Because, yeah, because Chris, like you were saying, yep. it seems like he's just been driven by inertia for a long time yes like he it's not because he's like yes what i'm going to do is hang out on the fisherman's harbor docks that's my choice like that's not how he's been approaching life well yeah and it's also (laughs) not that he is actually useless simply because he lost an arm plenty of people do many great things only having one arm it's (laughs) silly to think otherwise and yet but i think he's paralyzed by this I don't think it's just that. I think the stories that he tells, like, especially the one about Renault, I think is the most telling, is that it's not just losing an arm. It's feeling like he's useless. And I think that Sherry makes him feel like or he's Or maybe abused. not deserving of... Not deserving, yeah, a lot of, of different anything. emotions. Right. And, I mean, that's still... I think my argument still applies. Yeah, no, Having sure. many past failures also doesn't make you incapable of doing great things. In fact, right. if anything, it's a prerequisite. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it kind of, it does boil down to, like, that being more of an excuse than a reality, and I think that that's apparent here, and I like that towards the end, the parallel narrative, the he will not forget, she will not forget, it's almost like, uh, it's, like, an exact opposite of what happened with Renoa, where, like, they would have used each other to forget their pain, and instead each is building on each other's story and yeah we talked about the lesson that he had taught her but also what happens after that is that is the story behind the stories and then they talk more about stories but but then but then we've got that very elegantly constructed you know final thing reflecting themes leading to kind of a moral Mm. you might expect the story to end right there right but the author was like, no, let's make this extra haunting. Yes. Because <laughs> we've got one last scene. Oh my goodness, of the course. descriptions of the garden. Oh my god. <laughs> Insane. Like, incredible. And I mean, what it is is a description of the garden flying over the city and, like, dropping seeds in pods down below on, like, tethers, and they spread out to, like, go grab the children who have been selected seed right and the writing is very powerful and it's it's very strange we've got yeah. metaphors like like an old trapdoor spider drawing its catch the garden tugs <sighs> oh by the way 
the, I forgot to emphasize that right before that horrible description mm-hmm. is the actual like moral line. There are many stories in the world, but the most important ones are those you choose to make yourself. Yeah, I read that one. You did yes. read that one? Yes. Oh, I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yes. And, and, but so now now we've got this garden. But yeah, now we've got this tragedy. Sorry, Amato. I totally skipped that you read that. <laughs> You've got that tragedy. And then, um, I mean, I don't, I we, like a lot of parts in this fanfic, we're kind of stopping ourselves from just reading the whole fanfic because it's also very well written. Mm-hmm. But the ending sequence is, as Zell turns away from the window, his first thought is only how improbable it seems. How after everything he has seen, the garden's coming is still strange, alien. A floating castle in the sky, a hundred mouths that swallow children, a city that wordlessly accepts its fate. Ridiculous. It's like something from a fairy tale. Like something from a story. The end. Yeah. And that's how the author justifies calling the story story. <laughs> well, what you're, you're referring to at the end, there, the author's well, original title saying, was like memory. something from a story. Well, yeah, we can talk about that too, but like, like something from a story is mm-hmm. why they called the story story. And I get it. But, <laughs> um, and I, I don't know. so intense. That's super intense. It's very haunting. It is. It doesn't. And it's very It doesn't emotional. 100% jive with the tone that we were just getting. And I feel like that's. I don't know. Like, I guess the strength is is like kind of this dissonance. It's not. On the one hand, it's like yes, you know, you can take you can take control of your life. And on the other hand, it's also like yes, and also life is crazy and crazy things happen. Right. Like both those yes. things are true. <laughs> and uh, it, it's all part of kind of both of those parts of things are part of the narratives you have to forge about yourself. I guess is kind of. I definitely feel like this where the story a, goes. Like a really strong like sex cyclical motif like so Zell was seed well, she's gonna be yeah. a seed but he's come around in his life I what I I felt like I didn't I felt like it was positive because at the end he's saying oh you know through the narratives I've told Sherry I've decided to make my own story mm-hmm. and part of what he does is he says he imagines her coming back as an adult and coming to mm-hmm. him and running up to him That's true. And telling her telling him about her life and so he's making his own story. So that's the positive thing he gets. But then the fact that we're ending it like this is almost like we're restarting it at the start of the story, which would be fine if the story wasn't so horrible until the age of, like, however old he is. You know what I mean? So I do wonder about the ending and what it's supposed to be. Right, mean. but I sort of presumed that she at least has this great truth about mm-hmm. how to take control of her life, which is very similar to actually something that Sid says in the game, mm. which is about the seeds acting that he trains. He wants them to act as individuals. He wants mm-hmm. them to choose, make choices for themselves rather than just blindly following orders. Um, this has a very similar theme to that. And this is implied that this is not something that the garden teaches anymore. <laughs> right. And it's definitely reinforced by the parallel narrative and the fact that, you know, she can build on his experience that he has taught to her, regardless yeah, of what he told yeah, her anything yeah. real. Yeah, Very slightly off track there, but yes, <laughs> that's where I was going for. No, 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 I, I think that's exactly what you said. I just wanted to add on that a little more. Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, it is hard. Like This whole story is kind of hard from the sense that with most narratives that like are adding on to the end of something, you want the people in that narrative to have 
grown and developed since the end of it and be living fulfilling lives doing great things because that is sort of the presumption but i think of all of the pieces of media honestly final fantasy 8 is the world that like this seems like a reasonable way that that yeah, world would go uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. <laughs> now there's some brief author notes at the end we mentioned that it seems like a beta reader um suggested the name story would be more fun than memory chris you were saying you think memory would have been a t- better title right uh to be honest yeah but that's mostly just because it's a little bit grating and sort of like i can't think of a name this story is kind of a nameless sort of sort of way to I mean, declare yeah. your story as story yeah <laughs> yeah and like i said at the end there you get the idea of why it's called story but when you start at the beginning you're like you're calling your story story what 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 you don't know what that means so i could have gone with a fairy tale style title mm-hmm. um like you know i guess if zell would have actually been fishing on the harbor which he isn't really doing but it could be like no. the fisherman and the girl or something like because that yeah, could have played the old man in, in the sea. The old man in the sea. Yeah, let's call it the old man in the sea. <laughs> the old man and the girl. It'll it'll be famous. <laughs> the old man and the girl. I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe. Uh, no. Uh, but but I mean something fairy tale like because it would have kind of tied back into like the the stories that Zell is choosing to tell, but then the stories that he chooses to tell about himself. I don't know. I'm just spitballing yeah. here. Yeah, I think there could have been a better title than the story. I feel like the story is very very good. I want to have a title that catches people's attention a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. Well, is that your criticism, Romano? I guess it's a criticism. I mean, I, I'm going to be reaching for other criticisms. It's pretty well done. Yeah. Like. I mean, my criticism is only that I felt like there should have been more in certain parts. Like, I, I would have so. wanted more. What parts would you have wanted fleshed out? Um, the whole thing. Okay. I would have wanted a little more balance for this to happen because I already felt like the part with Zell and Renoa and the flashback went on a little longer than every other part, which means I feel like every other part should have been extended to balance it. Mm. But I wanted more from that part too because I wanted to know more about where Renoa was at and what was actually going on for her. And I wanted a little bit more about their relationship, like especially historically in the last long time since they saw each other kind of thing. To be honest, I find many of the flashbacks to be beautifully concise, and Mm, I feel like extending them in certain ways would detract from that. That's fair. I mean, to be fair, I am reaching for criticism here, so... I I guess since it came up in conversation, it's a little bit weird that Quistis is not mentioned and everybody else is mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So um, if you're checking things in your head, it's just kind of a blank box. But I guess that yes. fits, too, with just kind of holes in Zell's memory or, you know, the the Achikochi, like the jumping around nature mm-hmm. of, of him pulling things. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only thing that, like, grated on me a little bit, and it's only a little bit, is that sort of, like... The, in w- at one point, he describes the story of Heinz' war against humans, mm-hmm. and it's described as, like, the reason that the Great Salt flats the great salt lake exists Mm -hmm. and there's actually an explanation for that in game well doesn't mean there can't be myths about it too i mean sure but it seems like it happened too recently for it to like really have been oh was it a recent thing it was it was not like super recent but but it was something that like it's written down uh, yeah i feel like it was known well and like it was it, it was just weird because you feel like this myth is very old like it's part of this old cycle and it feels like it would have been kind of contemporary with the knowledge of 
how these salt like maybe it maybe it isn't maybe that there is some time scaling there that makes sense who knows <laughs> well i mean i i understand that kind of criticism also i think we're all really reaching yes that's a little bit of a <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's just it's, that one thing i'm like yeah this is, that, to my knowledge that doesn't quite line up with how final fantasy 8 went um but no for the most part um this is wonderfully well written. I feel like we haven't read anything where the language was this beautiful for a long time. Like, I'm thinking back to that first Avatar fanfic we read. Yeah. Where we were just like, oh, this is so pretty the whole time. But it's also a lot better constructed than that fanfic was. I was, was. going to say that, yeah. I was going <laughs> to say, like, I think we have read things where the language was this beautiful, but this actually wasn't necessarily the turns of phrase that stuck out to me, even though there were it many was some beautiful of the ones. Yeah. It was that they all fit naturally within a very well-perfected structure. I mean, I am amazed by this author, and I wish I could give praise that was a little more specific. I think I kind of have throughout this whole thing, but the structure incorporates repetition. It incorporates beautiful descriptions, and it, it holds itself, like it remembers itself. The author knows what they're doing throughout the whole thing. I think part of that is because it's a short story, but part of it you know short stories short stories can even be harder to write because you have to make them so concise I, it holds its structure and i am so impressed by that i guess the last beautifully written short story we read might be they say of the elves which is yeah. maybe even more impressive because it's so short and like you said it's hard to like get mm. that yeah. i still found this one to be so much more affecting and beautiful mm-hmm. like i like i felt myself like well, about it's to not cry so- during this story it was they had some very real descriptions of death and loss and aging that felt like the author, I don't know, they evoked them so perfectly. I don't even know what else to say. Yeah, it's not themes that as a young writer, I would have confidence tackling. I don't know how old this writer was, but they were writing once again about Final Fantasies and Harry Potters and Vagrant Stories. So like, you got to imagine someone who's kind of like our same similar generation, maybe. Like maybe a little older, like, but I don't know. No, I mean, I would, have I would like to point out that it is perfectly acceptable to like those things and to be older than our generation. No, that, that's absolutely true. It's just like, in terms of like the people who were really following Final Fantasy, I don't know. Yes. It, yeah. It's not a, it's not a fan group that you think of people being. Mm-hmm. It's definitely most likely that this person is around our age. Though maybe no, I mean maybe not because they mm-hmm. got to be older. They were writing things in like two thousand. Older, yeah. And like what? How old were we in two thousand? I was eleven. I was thirteen. You were thirteen. <laughs> you were nine. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to have been They're older. definitely older than us, but yes. around I, somewhat. Well, anyway, <laughs> I, I just want to say, I doubt the author was Zell's age in this fanfic, no. um, and. But they ca- they tackle those themes with a lot of confidence, and I think very effectively. I think like they do. of the kind of end of life, or not end of life even, but like deep into life enough that you yeah, kind of like are I mean, dwelling on the past really a lot. That, though. Yeah, but also it's you know my other reflection pieces as someone who's thirty, I still feel like I can relate and understand that. So I feel like it is possible mm. to write that at this age. I don't think I could have written something like that at twenty, but maybe at thirty mm-hmm. I could tackle it. Um, again, still really impressed with this author. I mean, I think 
I, I don't know that that seems like such a limit limitation that you're placing on authors like part of what being a good author is is being able to imagine yourself in the life well of that's what i'm else. saying and it is true. like yeah. that i am impressed couldn't have I, but I they agree, did but... that's why i'm impressed is that they did what they did because uh, i don't think i could have yeah. until this yeah. point in my life i feel like i, I guess that's fair. a sort of necessary skill to be a really good author so i i guess what i'm trying to say is that right it I don't know where the author was coming from, but I feel like they did a really good job in like finding a place to come from in the story. Yeah, agreed. And and writing it down. Mm-hmm. So I guess Does... that's about all that we have to say about this fanfic, short of just reading the whole fanfic. <laughs> yeah, we could still do that. I we wouldn't could... blame you. Dom has been wanting to try some kind of podfic at some point. Yeah. Well, I'd recommend this one. I May mean, I recommend anyone to read this one? It's beautiful. Well, probably. I mean, is it is it at the level of anyone or anyone who is familiar with Final Fantasy VIII? I don't think you need familiarity with Final Fantasy VIII to appreciate kinda, the beauty of this story. I feel like you sort of do, just so you don't, so you know what you're supposed to not know and what you are supposed to know. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah, I would argue that you should play Final Fantasy VIII before you read this, but you should also just play Final Fantasy VIII along mm-hmm. with all of the other Final Fantasies. So all you I people also really think <laughs> you could read this story without having played it and still appreciate like the beauty of the narrative. Oh, certainly there are many turns of phrase that you would take away from this that are beautifully well-written, regardless. But you definitely should play Final Fantasy VIII, start playing, get distracted by the card game, (laughs) play Triple Triad until you are super powerful, cash in your Triple Triad decks to just cruise through the rest of the game, crushing everything before you. Sounds right. That's how the game is played. I mean, that's pretty much is how the game is played. (laughs) As I recall. (laughs) (laughs) The game, yeah, loosely defined. It's, It's like... You don't need to let like leveling is pointless in that game, especially before a certain point where you get stat bonuses in leveling, and it's such a weird combat. I really like it. I I honestly think it's sort of beautifully put together in that it expects to be broken almost immediately. Yeah, (laughs) it's a good way to do it. I feel like they've kind of played around with that to some extent in other games too, like. Oh, yeah. in, in seven, also, it's like there's there's ways to break things across your knee, and it's just like oh, if you if you figure it out, do it's it. It's harder early on. though. You're right. You can't do it early. You have to get a few key things like yes. mimics and knights oh, yeah. of the rounds. Yes. Is yeah, and they're like I actually also really like how Final Fantasy VII implements its like power progression because by the end of the game, you are so immensely powerful if you can figure out the right materia to put in the right places. Mm-hmm. Um. But that's a, a result of acquiring those materia, which is sort of journeying around the planet and sort of getting to know the planet. And that's sort of what the game what is more the about. about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we've talked enough about Final Fantasy VII. This is a Final yeah. Fantasy VIII fan fiction. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, we're going to have to set that aside as well, I believe, because next episode, episode 78, we are going back to Harry Potter to welcome Dom back. And Final Fantasy Harry Potter. Final Fantasy Harry Potter. What would that look like? <laughs> it's hard to picture. The, the hair would be spikier, and the magic would be less useful. It, it depends on the, uh. depends on the Final <laughs> Fantasy game. Uh, more tiered. Less useful in that you can only use it in combat. <laughs> right. Oh. 
basically. Yeah, certainly know. limitations. <laughs> I'm reaching, whatever. Our particular fanfic is, we're going to read Paradigm of Uncertainty by Laurie. It's a 2001 fanfic that is very famous. It was one of the big powerhouse early Harry Potter fanfics. I feel like it came out after the third or fourth book, like, must have been fourth, probably. Maybe third. It's pretty early. 2001? Who knows? I'm not enough of a Harry Potter nerd to know, like, when the books came out. But it was a big deal back in the day. I'll be interested to read it in the cold, harsh light of 2020. And we'll be reading it with Dom in two parts. Just like Kid Dynamo, we're going to experiment with reading the first half, taking a break, and reading the second half. Mm. And we'll see how that goes. You can find a link there at, I'm going to say, bit.ly slash rfrpou. Because if anybody is in fact listening to this and typing in a URL, I don't want them to have to spell paradigm or uncertainty. <laughs> so R-F-R-P-O-U. That's the bit.ly link. As for this, this was episode 77 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Story by DK. Which, I mean, maybe it did stand for Donkey Kong, right? I mean, they're a video game fan? Yeah. Finally back. I mean, what else would it stand for? Like, I mean, you can't just make your name DK without knowing that that stands for Donkey Kong, so it's got to be deliberate. Well, it's only if you've played, like, Super Smash Brothers. I guess it's on the no. barrels in, in Donkey Kong Country all the time, right? DK? Yeah. It's a pretty common Yeah, DK happened at a long, long time ago. All right, so we're agreed. Story by Donkey Kong. 2005 uh, Final Fantasy VIII fanfic. You can find a link there at bit.ly slash rfr story. The intro song for the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku, and the outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter or Facebook at RetroFanfic, at Reddit at Fanfic Retrospective. You can send us an email at RetroFanficRetrospective at gmail.com, or you could leave comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular, or whatever podcast service of your choice. We are always looking for questions, comments, and suggestions for the show as it goes on. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. And I'm Chris. We're just three Earth life forms trying to remember to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs>